In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. We will study the book of Proverbs. We actually will start from chapter 4. I know we have done the first three chapters a long time ago. During COVID, we're all doing the, the first three chapters from home. But we will resume and go through, through it step by step. So just kind of a little bit of background. So who wrote the book of Proverbs? It's Solomon. And Solomon and David, roughly, they are a thousand before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when we talk about the Temple of Solomon, we say he's a thousand years before the Lord Jesus Christ. What is the setting of Proverbs? If you guys remember, Solomon built a temple. And typically, most likely with the temple, there was a small school associated with the temple where they will teach little kids, especially future leaders, the teachings of the culture and the religion and leadership and so on. Okay? So most likely it's a school that's associated with the temple and people would come to hear some advice from Solomon. The book of Proverbs has about 900 Proverbs. The concept of Proverbs, actually by the way, was quite common in the ancient world. So guys, for example, if you're traveling um, if you're traveling on any highway, there's always a rest area. You will stop by, maybe go to use the bathroom and, or get coffee, whatever it is. In the old days, as they walk from one place to another, there'll be like a small proverb, a puzzle, a question, and you would think about it until you come to the next stop. And then people will be like, you know, trying to figure out the puzzle until they come to the next stop. So proverbs actually was part of their life. If they want to bring a wisdom, to people, they usually put it in a phrase that people can memorize or a logical, um, a logical uh, paradox so people can always remember these proverbs. Okay? Just want to make sure that we follow the breakup of the book so you guys are really clear on this. We said the first nine chapters of the book are ten lectures to young people. So we are in the lectures for the young people. There are 10 lectures, okay? From chapter 10 to 20, there are general instructions to everybody. From chapter 21 to 30, it's instruction to leaders. In 31, he ends the book by talking about women, okay? And we'll get more into that toward the end of the book. So the first, he says with, with young people, then he talks to everybody, then to the leaders, and then one final chapter to the woman. The lectures, by the way, have a specific structure. The lectures are not random. He usually starts any lecture with, he says, there's an introduction to the lesson. He says, he, ad he makes an, uh, he addresses a son, a single, or sons, plural. He'll, for example, in, in, in Proverbs 1, 8, he says, listen to your father's instruction. Neglect not your mother's teaching. So at the beginning, there's always a little bit of he's talking to somebody. Who is that somebody? It's usually a son or sons. Why? Because this is a school next to the temple. Okay? And he usually gives him like an exhortation at the beginning. Okay? And then after the exhortation, he gives him a motivation. Why should you listen? It's a really nice, nice way to do it. He says, for, for example, he gives it in chapter 1, verse 9. He says, for these are graceful garland for your head and necklace for your throat. Why should you listen? 
because these things will make you look good. It's like you wearing a necklace in front of people. All right? And then he will give the listen, the actual listen, the body of the listen. Okay? My son, if criminals rule you, do not give in. That's the listen. Okay? And then after this, he will give a conclusion to the listen. So it will be more like a summary statement that people would memorize. For example, it says, No bird is caught in a net which is set out in plain view of him, yet these lie in wait for their very own blood. Okay, so he will give them like a little bit of a, a statement so people can memorize. And sometimes he will give like a capstone kind of, uh, a statement or a verse to make people memorize. So introduction to the lesson where he addresses the son or the sons. He encourages them why they should listen. Then he gives them the lesson. Then a conclusion to the lesson. That's like the three parts of the lesson. Now between those ten lectures, they're not straight lectures. Every once in a while he will have a pause. What is a pause? He will take an idea and start expanding on it. Okay? I'm telling you this because sometimes when you read the book of Proverbs, you feel like there's a parts that are repeated, but it's really not repeated. It's more like a new lecture. It's more a new instruction. Okay? One of the things that you will notice in the book of Proverbs, he doesn't give instructions right away. He always has to prepare the listener. Why? He's talking to young people and he really needs to grab their attention so they can focus and understand the value of the lesson. You guys know, for example, when ever like these random commercials come on YouTube and they'd be like, we found a secret recipe that will make you lose weight in you know, less than two weeks, right? And you know, all my friends are struggling and you'd be like, what's the recipe? But they never tell you, you know, like the whole commercial takes like three minutes and they'd be like, if you're interested, you know, watch the rest of the video, right? Really, they do that all the time. They never really tell you the recipe because they, at the end, they want you to like spend like the next, you know, uh, five months going through a course and learning about all the recipes. So, but it does work in grabbing people's attention. He does the same thing. He tells you, gives you the bits and pieces, you're grabbing attention, focus, focus, and waiting, and then he will give you the message. And that makes the message more effective. Because sometimes when people rush to say the core quickly, without making sure people are paying attention, it devalues the message. So this is what he really does, and he does it over and over again. So we are in chapter 4, from verse 1 to verse 9 is lecture 5. We've already done 4 lectures before in COVID, I've sent you the links. So now we're starting lecture 5. So verses 1 to 9 are a specific lecture. This lecture is a little bit unique because he is talking to his son about what his father told him. So it's more he's passing on a grandparent advice. So he told him, you know, it's almost like when your dad sits you down and be like, you know, my dad taught me this and it stuck with me. And there's an element of important there because it tells us how critical these teachings that we've received and lived by. And they become a core part of our formation, a core part of what we become. Okay? A lot of times people, when they look at where we are right now today in history, we, we have become very successful in so many things but people somehow try to forget the history that brought us here and the principles that brought us here as somehow we became what we are by simply being in the present which is false 
what brought us here are all the principles and the foundation that people have, have set before us. That's why uh, Newton, Isaac Newton said what? He said, if I have seen further, it's because I'm standing on the, sh on the shoulder of a giant. The reason I'm able to discover and do much better than what many people before me is because many people have put the foundation for me. Okay, so let's start get us slowly. Verse 1, it says, listen, my sons. See, this is plural because he's probably talking to a lot of kids in the school. The instruction of a father and give attention to no understanding. Here he says, listen, means like you want to have undistracted minds, which is a big problem we have in our generation now. Everybody's so distracted. But also it is really essential for people to have clarity of mind as they are receiving the word of God. One time I was talking to somebody close to me, so I was telling him, you know, this period of this last couple of weeks, I'm struggling to have clarity. My mind is so crowded. Then he told me something interesting. He told me, Abuna, I came to realize that clarity is a privilege. You cannot have it all the time. For your mind to be clear, he thinks it's a privilege. I think it's a must. If your, brain, if your mind is not clear, there's an issue. That you have to work toward to make your mind clear. Because you won't be able to live your life unless it's clear. If there's a relationship that needs to be fixed, if there's a problem that's causing issues that needs to be put in prayer, if there's a retreat that needs to be taken, I cannot leave my mind crowded. It does not help me to receive the word of God. And now he's giving them all these keywords: listen, father instructions, pay attention, knowledge, education. He's really focusing a lot about this, like trying to grab his attention. He's emphasizing these ideas. And by the way, this is really critical because people, especially younger people, need constant reminders, constant conversations. One of the biggest problems that servants and parents do sometimes is that they forget that parenting, one of the authors said this, parenting is an unending conversation. It's not like I told them this before and they've never listened. It's not the way it works. With kids, your children, you have to talk to them once, twice, three times, four times. And you might think they're not listening, but they are. But for the concept to stick into their mind and to be part of their core, it takes time. And you can think about this even with the Lord doing with us. Like how many commandments and how many things that God tells us and we keep not doing them over and over and over again. But we get frustrated when people don't listen to us right away. With younger people, it was really important to have constant conversation with people. I remember I shared this with you before, but a long time ago I did a survey to kids when they were uh, with their parents, I think they were middle schoolers, and I asked them, who do you trust the most? And they, out of dad, mom, abuna, servants, teacher, they picked mom. She was more than 87%. Why? Is mom the most knowledgeable? I don't know, probably, maybe not more than a teacher. But 
because mom would have conversations constantly with them. And Babu said, the bishop of youth, he used to say, serving youth needs three Ps. Prayer, presence, persuasion. Prayer, presence, persuasion. You pray for them, you're with them, present with them, and then you are convincing them of what they need to do. So there's an important aspect of this, important aspect that we have to, um, to have constant conversations with people. Now he's telling him, look here, he says, listens my sons to the instruction of the fathers. So as we said, these are sons which shows that they have historical lineage to the Jewish family or the Jewish, uh, Jewish uh, heritage. So he's telling them like we are of the same family. We are of the same spirit. The instruction is specific for a specific identity. It's like, for example, when Pope Shenouda was the, the bishop of uh, education, one time Abu Nabshu Kamel told the servants in his church, church he told them, I'm going to have you listen to somebody who speaks with the spirit of the apostles. There's a, there's a, there's a certain spirit that is passed on from one generation to another. And that really becomes a big, it's a, it's a really important idea. Okay? So the idea he's saying, I was a son and I was transformed to a father based on this instruction. The way I am a father today was impacted by what I was taught. Okay? So he's telling them, and by the way, Saint Athanasius in his second festal letter, uh, he said something on this verse. He says, Paul wrote to the Corinthian, you therefore follow me. And he says, the command has passed down to us. We are also following Paul, what he taught us. Then what he tells them, this is by the way, the introduction of the lesson I was just telling you. For I give you good doctrine, do not forsake my law. I, here the father, this is a personal father-son encounter. Why is this important? Because it serves the family interest. Imagine if your dad says to you, be like, okay, let me show you the finances of the house. Let me show you like what properties we have, what businesses we have. Let me show you what's like, what we do in life. Okay, she so says, for I give you good doctrine. This is a father-son encounter. It serves the family interest. It serves the family of God's interests. Okay, and that's why it's important for us to really distinguish between good doctrine and bad doctrine because good doctrine promotes the heritage and the life of the family of God. Okay, and that's really important. And many people, by the way, uh, they care about bringing people to church, but they don't care about good doctrine. I'll tell you even more, and forgive me, some people who serve, they're afraid of upsetting people than sharing good doctrine. Even sometime when servants take kids on a retreat or a trip, their main focus is the kids to have fun, but not to grow. I'm afraid if they don't have fun, they will complain. 
Because the people of Israel were rebellious. Sonship is a responsibility. It requires obedience. It cannot just come as a privilege. This is a problem. If I think I'm born into the church and I have all the privilege of the church, but I'm not obedient to the church, I'm not a son of the church. And that's what the Lord said in Mark 3. He says, here I'm my brother. And when somebody told, by the way, the, the context of this verse, somebody told the Lord, he told him, blessed is the womb that brought you. She's telling him basically, blessed is Saint Mary. And what did the Lord said? He said, blessed are those who listen to my word. Obedience kills our ego. Obedience makes us learn how to love. We cannot be children unless we're obedient. Okay? When he says, I was a son, it means he has been weaned. from his, She stopped breastfeeding him. And that's why you see this in Proverbs 20, 26. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. So what is Proverbs saying? He says, the children, when they're young, you put them in the right foundation. Because at some point, at some point, if you don't do that, you cannot, the, to teach people when they get older is much more difficult. Much more difficult. Obedient son is a cherished son. And for example, you know, in the scripture, Abraham had many sons. But even before he had many sons, he had two. He had Ishmael and, and Isaac. But when the Lord came to talk to him, to ask him to offer his son, what did he tell him? Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac. Then what about Ishmael? Well, Ishmael was his son. But at that time, Ishmael was no longer part of the family of Abraham. When I walk into the church, I am a son and a daughter of the church if I'm obedient to the teaching of the church.
And then he's saying tender and the only one in the sight of my mother. Tender does not, tender means he's inexperienced. He came to church, he came to the temple, he made a lot of mistakes. Who took care of him? His mother, the church. That's why it says in 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. When he's saying that he was only in the sight of his mother, by the way, it does not mean that Bathsheba did not have, Solomon was a child of Bathsheba, it did not mean that she did not have other children. But it means that he was one who took all the instruction so seriously. He felt he was the most loved. You know, like even now in the world, uh, I don't know the history so much, but like for example, in the Middle East, in the Gulf countries, maybe a, a king will have multiple children, but he would pick one of them to be the prince, the one after him. And that's based on the father's choice. Whatever he sees would be fit to, 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 to follow him. I think it was the same thing, for example, in, in, in Korea. So the concept is here is that I felt I was the only in the sight of my mother. She just, I was taking everything she, she says seriously. And this is, by the way, he haven't even said a word yet about what he should do. This is kind of the spirit in which these instructions are given. You know, there's an instruction, but there is a spirit and the etiquette of how life and the life of the church is. How seriously he takes the relationship with his father, how seriously he takes his word, how seriously he takes all these things. He's telling him, my father, he also taught me and said to me, let your heart retain my words, keep my commandments and live. He's telling him, one day, my dad came and told me, Okay, let your heart retain my words and keep my commandments and live. One of the things that I want to emphasize is that the way that Solomon is teaching, it emphasizes the concept of ownership. You are the church. And one day, you will become responsible for the one of the most ancient, most significant church in the history of Christianity. Do you feel that responsibility or not? Do you feel that blessing and burden at the same time or not? If he's telling him, he's telling him this is critical. And that's why we have to be quite careful about how we deal with the church. Unfortunately, many people, many people, their main job right now is to criticize. I was actually talking to somebody yesterday and I told her I will share the story. Uh, this person, she works... Um, she helps people find an apartment, all that stuff, and I was sending him, send, sending her somebody, and she told me, Abuna, 
every person, almost every Coptic, other, other Coptic person I meet, he says, when I come to America, nobody helped me. But if you truly look into your life, you'll find that many people from the church helped you. But if people have one bad encounter, that's the one thing they want to highlight. The idea of criticism is a problem. The other thing I want to make you guys pay attention to it very well. Who is Solomon? Solomon is the wisest man of his generation. He received wisdom as a gift from God. He was taught in the king's palace. He was educated to the best education available at that time. Who is Solomon's father? David the prophet. David the prophet was a shepherd when he was young. He almost self-taught himself a lot of things and made a lot of mistakes. Solomon, who received wisdom from God, still sits under the feet of his father to learn from him. You as a young generation, probably much better than your parents in electronics, in speaking the language, in understanding what you need to do to do well in here, in school, and all that stuff. But there are certain things only your parents can teach you. Only the church can teach you. And the worst problem is when people feel, you know, I am much better than this. Dad and mom don't understand. The church doesn't understand. It becomes a really big problem when I take it this way. Okay? If I do not belittle the teachings of the church, do not belittle the teachings of your family, because some of it is critical. Some of it is critical. As a matter of fact, I remember when I was taking a class a while ago about, um, about mental health and all that stuff, one of the main aspects of things that people talked about that helps with mental health is family traditions. When family meets together for feasts, when family even grieve together, there's a certain aspect of these things are extremely important. And then he tells them, let your heart retain my word. It means hide it in your heart. You know, there are certain principles that we live by that are deep inside, engraved inside. They're not just intellectual ideas we talk about. And I'll tell you, in reality, a lot of people have all these hidden, hidden ideas in their heart when it comes to dating, meeting boys, meeting girls. Each one have their own philosophy. But when it comes to the principles of life in which I walk in with God, people might have nothing in their hearts. What is, what is being retained in my heart? What is the principles that I'm walking by? And John 7, 17 says, If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it's from God or whether I speak of my own authority. And people question, 
God, he to they told him, he told them, you will know in your heart if what I'm speaking is from God or something I'm just making up. Now, what is the message that he's telling him? He's telling him, get wisdom, get understanding, do not forget, do not turn away from the words of my mouth. That's the first message he's telling him. By the way, see, all of this is just to get his attention to hear this verse. Get wisdom, get understanding, do not forget, nor turn away from the words of my mouth. What does it mean, get wisdom? Another way to look, or another translation of this, it means buy wisdom. Wisdom is something that you need to buy. What does it mean, needs to buy? You need to pay a price for it. You need to pay your time, your efforts, sacrificing maybe some of the fun time you have. You know, a fun fact, CEOs of 500 fortune companies in America, they read about one book a week. That's the CEOs of the 500 fortune companies in America. They're seeking the wisdom of the world. What do we do to receive the wisdom of God? Anytime I spend, like you guys doing today, studying the Bible, me buying wisdom. Anytime I'm praying, anytime I'm going to sit with my spiritual father, all these things require wisdom. Require, all of these things means I'm buying wisdom. And that's why in Matthew 11, 12, the Lord says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. It means that I must force myself to be able to walk with God. You come and say, I, I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to read the Bible. I don't have time to meditate. You're not buying wisdom. What is the difference between wisdom and understanding? Wisdom is more like the guiding principles, like love your enemies. Understanding is more of the application of how to love your enemy and how to practice them. Actually, if you guys remember the famous story of Saint Anthony, when people asked him, like when he asked people, what is the greatest virtue? He told them the greatest virtue is discernment. I cannot have any virtue without wisdom. Because I won't know what is the correct way to love, what is the correct way to be humble, what is the correct way to do anything, unless I have wisdom. That's really important. He's almost telling us, marry wisdom. The concept of what principle you should follow and how you should apply it. It should be something that occupies your mind. In the book of Sirach, chapter 14, says what? Happy is the person who meditates on wisdom and reasons intelligently, who reflects in his heart on her ways and ponders her secrets, pursuing her like a hunter and lying in wait on her path. As you know, there are some people, for example, once they hear something, they write it down. They write it on their notes. So I want to go back and reflect. He seeks her like a hunter. This could change my life. This could impact me. This I need to apply. Who peers through her windows 
and listens at her doors. You know, you hear people talking spiritual talks and you're like, what's going on? I want to hear. Who camps near her house is close to those who are a source of wisdom and fastens his tent pegged to her walls. Who pitches his tent near her and so occupies an excellent lodging place. Who places his children under her shelter and lodges under her uh, walls. Who is sheltered by her, by her from the heat and dwells in the midst of her glory. Wisdom is something that I have to seek all the time. When people take a spiritual retreat, they're seeking wisdom. When people reflecting and reading books, they're seeking wisdom. It surprises me when people be like, Abuna, I don't like to read. Where are you going to get wisdom from? You have to buy wisdom. How do you go to school? You have to read. How can you go graduate college without, without, grad, without reading? Saint, uh, Saint Ephraim the Syrian says, Open up the treasury door for us, Lord, at the prayers of our supplication. Let your prayer serve as our ambassadors. Let our prayer serve as our ambassadors, reconciling us with your divinity. Listen, all who are wise, pay attention, all who are learned, acquire understanding and knowledge, seeing that you are instructed and wise. A lot of the fathers have talked so much about obtaining wisdom and gaining wisdom and how it impacts your prayer, how it impacts your life. Then he says, do not forsake her and she will preserve you. Love her and she will keep you. He's almost like giving the commandments in two different ways. A negative one, do not forsake her. A positive one, love her. You know, there is a certain attitude that is required for this. When I approach my spiritual life with a negative attitude, oh man, I'm going to go to Bible study. I'm going to go to youth. It's so boring. I can't wait what's going to happen after. This is, again, is what he's saying. He's saying love wisdom. Love it. Like be excited. Look forward to it. Because that's how you will gain it. Origen said something interesting. He says actually sometimes the scripture uses the word charity or love. But he says when the scripture uses the word love, there is no room for misunderstanding. Because, and he refers, for example, says Isaac fell in love with Rebecca. Or Jacob with Rachel. So love means he means it. Love it. Be committed to it. Accept it. Sacrifice for it. Just like a husband and a wife sacrifice for each other. Then he says, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore get wisdom and in all you're getting, get understanding. What does it mean wisdom is the principal thing? As I was telling you earlier. You can't have any virtue without wisdom. Actually, more than that. When you go to, uh, for example, a lot of people who, therapists and so on, they focus a lot on understanding yourself and knowing yourself. How can you get self-knowledge without wisdom? How can you not be biased toward yourself one way or another, too harsh or too lenient? 
if you do not have wisdom. How can I make that distinction? No way. No way. How can I understand other people's weakness and strength? If I don't have the right principles and I don't have the wisdom. Any decision I make, how can I navigate not only how to get to a point, but also how can I navigate people? You know, that's one of the things you realize so quickly when you're part of a decision-making process that you're not only achieving a goal, you have to navigate through people. This person, if you do this, will be upset. This person, if you do this, they will be happy. This person like this, this person doesn't like that. If he hears that this idea is coming from this person, he's not going to accept it. If he, it's like a whole, you're like walking through like a map. You're not only navigating decisions, you're navigating people. And what principles would guide you as you navigate these decisions? Wisdom is absolutely critical. And how do I get it? I have to invest. I have to read. I have to sit with myself. I have to pray. I have to attend Bible studies. I have to go to youth. I have to serve. I have to, to get advice from my family. I have to ask questions. All these makes me find wisdom. Wisdom is a decision. And there's a very famous story of Father Bishoy Kamen. And when he would even cross the street, he would like pray. Or ask God which direction he want me go, to go to church today. Because he wants to know who does God want him to meet on the way. Seeking wisdom in everything. Okay? Now, he's giving the son motivation. He says, exalt her and she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. When you exalt wisdom, when you put your high values on wisdom, she will promote you. What does it mean promote you? It means like when people see you, all right, they will see grace in you. When you make decisions, your decisions will lead to inner peace and peace with people around you. This is what wisdom will do. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. Any young person wants promotion, wants honor. So he's giving them the motivation that helps them as young people. Just like you want, you know, like if you want to, people to respect you and you want the honor, you want this, get wisdom. Get wisdom. That's really, really significant. Okay? And this is the promise that wisdom gives us. It honors us on earth and in heaven. And in the conclusion of the lesson, he tells him, she will place you on your, she will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory she will deliver to you. When he honors her, she will make him more beautiful. Actually, uh, a victorious person in the time in the Eastern culture, like for example in Egypt, they will make him wear a crown. He's telling him, wisdom will make you victorious. Will make you uh, able to not fall into the traps. And this is actually what God has wished for Israel. In Isaiah 62.3 he says, You shall also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, and a royal 
Didium in the hands of our God. This is this is one. This is lecture five that he has given them. One of the things you will notice about these lectures, he's not giving a lot of things. A lot of times in our days now, when we give a lecture, they tell us you have to give a forty-five minute lectures. You almost have to say ten points. By the time people leave, they don't remember anything. But when you hear this one lecture, you leave and you know the message is clear. Get wisdom. Invest in it. It's critical. It's important to, the, to our family. It's important to our heritage. It's important to your survival. It will give you grace. It will give you honor. Get wisdom. Buy it. Invest in it. That's really what he's saying. Not a lot. Very small lesson. But it's something is designed in a way to help people to remember. And this is a good way for us when you're teaching younger kids. We have to be very careful about retention. A lot of times we cram so many things, especially with younger kids, and they are not retaining a lot of ideas. It's best to have one idea with a lot of encouragement why you should have it, rather than having teaching 50 million things. And actually one of the books I read a while ago about raising children, the author of the book was saying that when they were young, their parents actually would make them read either the book of Proverbs or the wisdom of Sirach. And basically, they'll take one or two verses and teach it to the kids. Short verses, but each verse has a big lesson. And the kids can apply it in their life easily. It's not too much, it's something small, but it can stick around. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.